Welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, August 27th, 2023. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today, we have Peter Felicia. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, Brain Teasers for Broadway Geniuses, which is available for pre-order on Amazon now. And Peter also has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Hello. Uh, Michael Portantier is on vacation this week up at P-Town, but he will be back next week, which leads us to something that we've never done before on This Week on Broadway, is that we're going to have a listener show this week where a number of our listeners are going to be uh, giving their reviews of various shows that they have seen Um and we thought that this would be a, a fun way to turn the tables on on the listeners. There's a lot of shows that are very interesting that we haven't seen. In uh, and in fact, uh, some of the reviews coming up, we have seen these shows, but maybe with a different cast member. So, first step, I'm going to bring in Cheryl. Cheryl is going to talk to us about "Merrily We Roll Along" off Broadway at New York Theater Workshop. So, Cheryl, hello. Good morning. Good morning. So tell us uh, who you are. Well, I'm Cheryl Hodges-Selvin. I'm from Plymouth, Michigan, but I'm a frequent visitor to New York as my daughter lives in Brooklyn. So last spring, I was able to get a a ticket after waiting in line four hours for (laughs) Merrily We Roll Along. Well worth the wait. So I would say that Daniel Radcliffe's Franklin Shepherd Inc. was worth all the the trouble of getting a ticket. And I am looking forward to seeing it again on Broadway. Great. So uh, where were you at New York Theater Workshop? It's such a small theater. Were you like on top of the stage? Were you back a little or? I ended up with house seats. I was in third row, center. It was fabulous. So I think wow. it's just being nice to the people in the box office that got me in, you know? What was your history with Merrily? Had you seen it before? Or, I had you know, the not. Elements? I don't, you hadn't. I, I knew the album. I knew mm-hmm. the album very well. I, of course, had seen the movie. And, of course, now I'm even well, uh, more well-versed because I had Peter's <laughs> class this past week. <laughs> but um, I enjoyed all of it. And of course, I knew all the leads. I'd seen them in other shows and knew that we were in for a treat. And we still are. One of the big problems that people talk about with Merrilee that has such an unlikable, quote unquote, hero. Uh, does this bother you at all? No, I thought he <laughs> played it very well. Uh-huh. You know, so uh-huh. I, I just thought the whole thing worked extremely well. And I hope that they have as much success on Broadway as they did off. 
Well, I agree with you that I think it's a wonderful production, and I really do believe every problem that anybody's ever brought up with Merrily We Roll Along has been solved. I really yes. do believe I've used this term before, and I'll use it again. I'm not afraid to. I think it's now a masterpiece. Uh, I do worry about its commercial success because I, I don't think it's a show that really does appeal to the general public, but nevertheless, they did their work superbly, and I'm very, very happy that it worked out as well as it has. Well, I would think right now, with Sondheim being so much in everyone's minds this past year, that it will have a longer run than it might have otherwise. So that's that's definitely true. Uh, Sure. Uh, (laughs) It's so sad that one has to die to really be appreciated. But that's really what's been happening here uh, for a long time now. So and I'm glad it has it ended. Yeah, me too. Well, not a day goes by that I don't look forward to it. Well, ironically enough, um, this week I saw Forbidden Sondheim, which was Ah. uh, Jerry Alessandrini's new show. um, And uh, he takes a lot of the Sondheim songs and uh, makes great, great spoofs of them, um, including uh, (laughs) one lyric was, there are more vowels in his uh, lyrics than you find in Wheel of Fortune, which I thought was a great line. Um, so, um, he, he does songs from Merrily, um, Merrily We Stole a Song is one of them. Um, it's, it's such a great, great show. And, um, it was, uh, something you're going to see again. And it was wonderful to see Christine Petty in it, who's been a long time, um, Broadway, uh, forbidden Broadway person. So, uh, contributor to say the least, but, um, I really do recommend that you see, um, this if you have a chance to forbidden sondheim anyway back to our listeners so where is forbidden sondheim playing peter well it was just um the other night uh, it was just a, a a quick run through um they did two performances on wednesday and thursday of this past week it was at don't tell mama on 46 oh. restaurant row oh great so they, they didn't come to your apartment and put it on just for you they- they did not they did oh, not they were invited people. too but i had yes. to go there yeah <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Cheryl, for giving us the review on Merrily. So one of our listeners, April, emailed me and said that she went to the Sondheim concert. Uh, Everybody Rise, a Sondheim celebration at the Hollywood Bowl. So, April, thanks for joining us. So tell us uh, where, where, are you, where are you joining us from? I'm in Whittier, California. Uh, it's in, oh. uh, in Los Angeles County. So uh, the Hollywood Bowl, Everybody Rides, the Sondheim Celebration. Uh, you know, why don't you give us your, re- your review of it? Oh, well, I just had a fantastic time. It was one of those nights that I just felt was really special and um, was so thrilled uh, to be there for it. Um, they started with um, the overture from a little night music and they did something kind of fun where, you know how it, that opens with the whole warm ups and everything of, of, the, of yeah. the singers. Um, so it was Sutton and Sutton Foster, Skylar Austin, uh, Norm Lewis and uh, Sierra Bogus. And they're, out there in their like shorts and and looking very casual <laughs> and they're doing their warm-ups um and then they left the stage as the overture went on and uh then of course when they came back out they were uh they were dressed for <laughs> for the evening and uh it was it was a really nice start to the evening sierra saying what more do i need and um just brilliant she's she's such a great singer and i really 
I really enjoyed her take on it. It was, it was, it, it was funny. Um, she was great. And then um, Norm saying, everybody says don't, uh, which is, I, I love that song. So that was great. Uh, Sutton did, there won't be trumpets, which I think she also did on the Sondheim uh, birthday celebration a couple of years ago. Right. Um, so that was, that was great to see again. And then Skylar did finishing the hat and um, you know, it, it was gorgeous. Uh, I, I think, <laughs> I think someone should consider him for the role of George. He, he'd be great. Um, so, so that was fun. And then the, the moment uh, that Matt talked about the Brian Stokes Mitchell came out and did his getting married today, which was so much fun. He, he, <laughs> he started off, you know, with the bless this day part and mm-hmm. he played it as if he were a drunk man and kind of fallen all over the place. And I, it was, it was very funny. And then, you know, turns into the bride and then turns or turns into the groom and then turns into the bride. And um, each of them were just distinct characters, which is impressive enough. But then of course it's that song. So <laughs> even more impressive. So that was just a lot of fun. Um, and then of course, what could top that? Well, Patty Lapone um, singing "Being Alive," uh, which yeah. was incredible. Um, and then Stokes did "Epiphany," uh, which I, I I was sort of expecting the Sweeney of the night to be Norm, so it was fun to to see Brian Stokes Mitchell do that instead. Uh, and then Sutton sang "Another Hundred People," and then they closed the first act. With weekend in the country, which I, I was just thrilled by. <laughs> um, wow. That's not that's not a song that you get a lot in these sort of things. And um, Sutton played the maid, and Sierra was um, the young wife, uh, and um, Patty did Charlotte. Is it? I'm sorry, I can't remember the character's name right now. Um, but yeah, they were all in it and playing their roles and. Uh, it was just so much fun. I love that song so much. So that was fun. Uh, they opened the second act with Patty doing Send in the Clowns, which I've never heard her sing before. So that was really special. And then uh, Norm and Brian Stokes Mitchell did uh, did Pretty Woman. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to mention that after Epiphany, Stokes and Patty did A Little Priest. Oh, nice. Yeah, so that was really fun as well. Um, and then, yeah, Norman Brian Stokes, which Mitchell did Pretty Women. Um, and then they did, Sutton and Sierra did like, um, I don't want to call it a mashup, but the two songs together, uh, Sutton starting with Losing My Mind and um, sort of after she had gotten at least through one chorus, then Sierra came out and sang Not a Day Goes By. And then eventually the two of them sang together, sticking with their songs, but um, singing together. It, it was mm-hmm. phenomenal. It was incredible. Brian Stokes Mitchell did the flag song from Assassins, which isn't one I hear very oh, yeah. often. Yeah. Uh, and then on his way out, Sutton came on stage and they kind of hugged each other like, hello. And then... Brian Stokes Mitchell planted her with one, a very, very long kiss between the two of them. And 
I figured out what was happening next. And of course, Sutton says, what was that? And sings Moments in the Woods from Into the Woods. So that was just, it was really cute. It was really fun. And then Miss Patty uh, did Ladies Who Lunch. And it felt, I I, I did have the privilege of seeing her do it in company um, a year or so ago, a couple of years ago. But this time there was, I don't know. Uh, she seemed free. She seemed like she was doing it bigger than she had done before, sort of outside of the character and more like Patty. Makes sense. Uh, but, you know, phenomenal. And then, of course, what can follow that? But that's got to be move on um, from Sunday, which uh, Skylar and Sierra did just beautifully. I wish that Sierra had done Greenfinch and Linnet Bird. I would have loved her, heard her sing that, um, but she was incredible with Move On. And then the night ended with Sunday from Sunday, which was incredible. And they did have a, a chorus backstage, or not backstage, but upstaged, um, that sang a few times during the show. And of course, with Sunday having that choral sound and in the Hollywood Bowl it was just phenomenal and then they took a beat and Patty went up to the microphone and said white a blank page his favorite and they showed a picture of Sondheim Um, Mm -hmm. so it was a very touching moment Um, and and a beautiful ending to a, a magical night okay next up we have Rob so Rob uh introduce yourself uh, hi, I'm Rob Johnston. Uh, I am born and raised outside of Philadelphia, but have lived in Queens the last 15 years. And uh, other than a few bumps in the road this year, have made quite the habit of attending as much theater as I'm able to here in New York. Great. So we have a, a double header here. Uh, Rob got a chance to see Sweeney Todd with Nicholas Christopher as Sweeney this week. Uh, Josh Groban is out with COVID, is it, or just out? Uh, He had COVID and uh, he came back, I believe, Friday night. And Anna Lee Ashford is still out with COVID or had been earlier. Uh, I don't know that they've announced when she's coming back. Um, But I got to see Nicholas Christopher as Sweeney. And, uh, he was amazing. Uh, I've been a fan of his for a while. Uh, I've seen him as George Washington in Hamilton. He was Collins, uh, when Rent did the off-Broadway at New World Stages and he was John and Miss Saigon. So I, uh, and so I knew that he would be worth seeing, but, uh, you know, it's the first time really seeing him, uh, you know, be the lead and have to carry the show uh, vocally the way he did. And it was great. I really felt that uh, I didn't miss anything by not seeing Groban. I know he is a world-class top-notch vocalist, but uh, Nicholas is an amazing singer and probably has an edge uh, uh, as an actor, uh, as that's been his primary uh you know, thing for so long. Uh, and I got to say, Sweeney is, uh, you know, I've said for years, Sweeney and Rent are my two favorite shows. Um, so getting to see it 
in such a full full orchestra full cast production uh in person was just outstanding and i'm just feel so fortunate that i was able to get back in and get uh to be able to see it rob you have a history of seeing uh shows repeatedly did uh did you get a chance to see josh in this role yet or was this the first time you've seen sweeney in the, in this incarnation uh, I've not seen Josh in it. I'm going to try to get back. Uh, you know, this has been my uh, first uh, two show week uh, of sorts uh, since I started to have uh, some medical issues back six months ago. So mm. getting the strength up, uh, getting the stamina up. And uh, once I get back working again next month, get the finances back up to. Let me ask you this, Rob. Um, one of the objections I had to Josh Groban's performance is I didn't feel as if he expressed in any way, shape, or form that he had been in prison for 15 years, that Sweeney had really been incarcerated, and that's a tough thing to to be, 15 years in a prison. Did this guy impress you as somebody who had, had that type of backstory? Um. Yeah. You know, you definitely felt resentment. You felt that there was something you know, burning under the surface that, you know, he was trying to maybe keep Tamp down. Um, and, but just kind of like, you could kind of almost sense a fuse going uh, somewhat uh, until Epiphany when it finally comes to the surface and breaks free a bit. So, um, but like I said, uh, you know, considering he was playing Collins when he was in his like early to mid weeks. <laughs> You know, he actually is able to to, you know, he surprised me throughout uh, what I've seen of his career. That's great. It's so wonderful to have the chance to see people play different roles. And so uh, so you'll uh, be able to keep this one in your memory for a long time, I'm sure. Oh, one hopes. <laughs> so, Rob, uh, I know that you uh, saw Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice a few times. How many times did you see Beetlejuice? I think it was around 12 or 13. 13 would be the on-brand thing to say for that show, but I can't yes. it right now. <laughs> but you did see A Shark is Broken. So uh, tell us about this uh, play about the making of the Jaws uh, movie. So Jaws is one of my like top five movies of all time. And what I say whenever I'm talking about the movie is, um, or what I used to say, if I'm flipping around the channels and I see Jaws is on TV, I'm going to watch it, if not to the end, at least to the Indianapolis speech. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. nobody really <laughs> flips through the channels anymore. But if I'm scrolling through the guide and I see Jaws is on, I'm going to turn it on and watch it until the Indianapolis speech. So I definitely wanted to see this show um, just because of loving that speech that Robert Shaw wrote in the movie. Uh, I didn't know necessarily why he rewrote it, uh, and wrote it himself until this show, but, uh, I was thoroughly entertained by it, um, as somebody who has, uh, just loved movies for as long as I've loved theater and, uh, getting to watch it and three amazing performances, three, um, people who really did an amazing job of embodying people 
that I don't know that I would have pictured them, at least two of the three of them as. Um, and I will say a little bit of Beetlejuice popped up at a couple moments in Brightman's uh, performance of Richard Dreyfus. There's just a little bit of that chaos energy uh, shared by both roles. Uh, and it was just uh, really enjoyable. Now, I will say, after I had gotten home and was thinking about it more, <laughs> one of my biases often, often with shows is I tend to not like shows that are plotless. Um, there are a couple really famous long-running now and forever shows that I particularly <laughs> have been vocal about <laughs> not liking for the lack of plot. So once I was thinking about it, I do recognize that there are no character arcs. Um, it's more of a documentary than a narrative. And if I wasn't as invested in the property that is Jaws, I may not have liked it as much. And I, I recognize that. And people who say something like that, um, I will not uh, minimize their feelings on that. That said, I was entertained and it may not have a reason to exist, but I'm glad that it does and was entertained uh, the entire time. Hmm. Did uh, I, I haven't seen uh, Shark is Broken, so I don't know if they make a reference to the Indianapolis speech in, in the play, do they? Very much so. Uh, it comes up a couple times. Um, you see them doing take one of the scene and Robert Shaw can't get through it. Um, and he's like, how do I not know this? I wrote it. And uh, <laughs> it comes up again later in the show uh, in an amazing fashion uh, that I won't spoil the exact whys and wherefores of it. But, I, you know, it definitely left me, uh, you know, walking out with a smile on my face. Mm -hmm. uh, Stephen Bell in the uh, chat room brings up that it was a series of snapshots rather than a play. Snapshots. Well, that's a good point. So, yeah, that's mm -hmm. a... That's an interesting thing. I I asked about the Indianapolis speech because I, Peter, were you friends with uh, or uh, did you know uh, in, in passing Frank Rich when uh, he was <laughs> when he was reviewing? I really thought you were going to talk about somebody who's dead. Uh, the way you started, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we've just he's dead to me. He went Hollywood. <laughs> uh, uh, we only talked at parties. That's about it. Um, uh, but I always say I, I wish he was still reviewing. I know people call them the butcher of Broadway, but most, you know, the thing is, here's here's the way I put it. So many times people criticize critics because. Because they haven't seen the shows that the critics have seen. And yeah. <laughs> when you see this, uh, I see the shows in advance. And so by the time I read reviews, uh, I, I have seen the show. So as a result, um, I, I really have an appreciation for, for certain critics because they seem to hit the points that uh, strike me as important. And Frank Rich, um, aside from disappointing me on, on the original production a lot better, I thought was on the money. Uh, with the highest percentage, I think, of anybody I've ever read. So um, I, I miss him tremendously. The the reason I bring it up is that uh, I could imagine, <clears throat> excuse me, the Indianapolis speech, uh, um, you know, some of the actors, if Frank Rich were still reviewing, looking mm -hmm. right out into the audience, say, 
sometimes that shark looks right at you, right into your eyes. And that shark, he's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eyes. When he comes at you, he doesn't seem to be living. <laughs> then he bites you. <laughs> so that could have been the butcher of Broadway, you know? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, um, but I think Frank told the truth. <laughs> All right. So, Rob, thank you so much for giving us the reviews of Sweeney and A Shark is Broken. So we're going to move forward uh, into Juliet. And Juliet is going to talk about Swept Away at Berkeley Rep. So, Juliet, how are you? I'm great. Good morning. Please uh, introduce yourself. I'm Juliet Green. Uh, I'm calling. Well, I'm calling. I'm not calling. I'm zooming um, from the San Francisco Bay Area. And um, just in the past few years, I've really become a huge Berkeley Rep fan. Um, I've just been so impressed with the work they're doing. And after hearing all of your reviews of all the wonderful things off-Broadway, it's been great to see things like English and Clyde's and Cambodian mm. Rock Band, um, which Berkeley Rep has brought in usually kind of, uh, you know, on the tail end of the off-Broadway run. So, but every once in a while, they also do um, some out-of-town tryouts. And I cannot wait for all of you to see Swept Away uh, when it hopefully comes to Broadway, because it was one of the, just one of the most interesting and creative pieces I've, I've gotten to see in a long time. It's, uh, the, it's another sort of on the, on the, in the same realm of Head Over Heels or Girl from the North Country, you've got a, a pre-existing catalog of songs, um, this time by the Avett Brothers. And then you have, um, a sort of a book created around the songs, uh, the book by John Logan. And it was just a really interesting piece. And it's funny, um, just this past summer, I got to see Life of Pi. And oh. there's a lot of similarities in that it takes place on a ship, um, on a whaler, on a whaling ship. And, um, eventually there's, you know, the shipwreck and the, the whole, you know, it's, so it's almost like Life of Pi, but with humans, <laughs> with humans <laughs> and music. Okay. Um, but the cast was, you know, just incredible. John Gallagher Jr. Um, was mate. The, the, there's really four characters in the show. There's mate, big brother, little brother, and the captain. Um, and, uh, we had John Gallagher Jr. as mate, Stark Sands as big brother. And I'm so excited he left Anne Juliet so that hopefully he can continue that role because he was really, um, spectacular. We had Wayne Duvall as captain and Adrian Blake Ensco as little brother. So there's a very small ensemble of about four other actors, uh, slash singers who sort of work as the, the crew on the ship and sort of various other things, but it's really these four men and their journey and, um, sort of their struggle for survival. But the, the music is the thing that really I came away with just these four voices together were absolute magic. And, um, if you know any of the Avett brothers catalog, you'll love it. I came in not knowing any of their music and just was absolutely hmm. swept away, huh? No pun intended, <laughs> um, by their, just their wonderful harmonies. The harmony and the, the blend is, was just, spine tingling the whole time. Um, really a great production. And I know there was some work that probably needed to still be done. Um, but Rachel Hawk's set design and the lighting and the, just the overall images. I mean, if you, like I said, Life of Pi brought back a lot of those same, just super creative stagecraft. Um, really amazing. And I, I can't wait to see what they do 
in a in a Broadway theater um, to sort of exemplify even more of that. So keep an eye out for that. That's going to be. I'm really excited for New York audiences to get to see that. Let me also say that I had uh, questions uh, while you started this review, but you've answered all of them. So you really did a terrific <laughs> job in uh, covering all the bases because I was wondering, well, is this a four-person show? Uh, did you know the music beforehand? So <laughs> you answered all my questions. And you often answer the brain teasers at the end of the show, too. And that is why you get a credit in my new book. Uh, oh, thank you, Peter. You will see your name there. And I look forward to your coming back to New York. And remember, I owe you a lunch. <laughs> I will look forward <laughs> to that. Okay. <laughs> so, Juliet, uh, tangential to your uh, to your review, you said that you've you've seen a number of shows at Berkeley Rep. How yes. is Berkeley Rep doing? Are the are the performances full that you're going to? Where you, we have so much concern for the the lifeblood of the regional theaters. Yes, they're doing better than um, our other sort of big, one of our other big regional theaters, Theater Works, um, oh, yeah. another Tony-winning mm-hmm. yeah. uh, organization, is uh, in the situation where they have to raise $3 million by November or they may not make it. So um, in, in, you know, in uh, comparison, Berkeley Rep, I think, is doing very well. Most of the shows, uh, I have season tickets for Sunday nights. Uh, very early in the run, and um, they are kind enough to give educator discounts because I am a teacher. So um, it's really nice. Uh, usually, the the crowds are pretty pretty full. Um, we got POTUS coming up next. I'm really excited about oh. that. And uh, but yeah, I think they're I think they're doing pretty well. They've got a um, you know really great program with lots of talkbacks and um, you know lots of uh, different kinds of opportunities for people. Uh, the POTUS, do you happen to know uh, if they've announced the cast or if you know any of the They cast? have. I don't. Rec- I didn't recognize any of the names from the original cast. I think it's mm-hmm. all, but I, I, I would have to look that up. All right. Well, Julia, thank you so much for your review of Swept Away, and we look forward to seeing that here in New York. Thank you. So next up, Alan is going to uh, join us. So uh, Alan spent, uh, I'm going to say, 168 hours watching straight Broadway, straight (laughs) through for seven days. So Alan, tell people what I am talking about. So uh, I participated in Playbill's uh, Broadway in Alaska cruise in the last week of July. So I tell people our show was way off Broadway. It's opened in Juno <laughs> and closed in Vancouver. And there were each night of the cruise, each of the six nights, there was a concert by a Broadway veteran. And um, the these folks on this particular cruise were Brian Stokes Mitchell, Kate Baldwin, Jessica Vosk, Rob McClure, LaShans, and John Lloyd Young. Mm. And these people, all of them were on the boat the entire week. And so you got to interact with them, uh, you know, informally as well as see their concerts. But I would liken it to uh, six straight nights at uh, 54 below. Mm-hmm. And yeah. one of the things that was really <laughs> terrific about it for me, I mean, like Brian Stokes Mitchell, he sang the things you would expect him to sing from Man of La Mancha. And he sang This Nearly Was Mine from South Pacific and Stars from Les Mis, uh, and then, but when he got to uh, Ragtime, he he sang one song, solo song from that. But then he said, uh, "For the next song, I really need somebody here who 
can carry the part of Sarah. And uh, we happened to have somebody that's played Sarah. And so he brought Lashans down and they sang Wheels of the Dream. Oh, wow. And so I did, I, every night I had this feeling that I'm witnessing something that nobody else has gotten to mm-hmm. see, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, whether they've done that many times before or not. And Kate, Kate Baldwin in her concert, she brought her husband, Graham Rowett, down and they sang a duet. And then Jessica Voss uh, did a duet with, uh, Kate Baldwin, they sang for good because, of course, Jessica was Alpha Bone Broadway for a, a while. And oh, we learned uh, the interesting fact that when an Alpha Bone Broadway leaves the show, they are forbidden by contract from singing Defying Gravity oh, for five years. Really? <laughs> really? She because oh. Jessica was in the uh, in Wicked. Yeah. Florida. 15th anniversary and the 20th anniversary is coming up. So she said, I've only got a few more months before I can sing that song. So I have to sing something else. And the thing I want to sing is a duet. So she brought Kate Baldwin down and they sang for good. Um, The most surprising to me was Rob McClure. I've somehow missed Rob and all of the things he's done on Broadway is either a replacement or uh, an opening act, but uh, opening person. But, um, he uh, brought a lot of props with him. And one of the things I did not know about his career was that he did, I knew he had done Chaplin. I knew he'd done Mrs. Doubtfire, but I didn't know he had uh, gone into Avenue Q. So he Mm, talked about being in puppet school. And one of the most Mm. fascinating things I've ever seen is he, he took a pair of googly eyes and put it on one hand and (laughs) created a character. (laughs) And he also brought the costume from, uh, chaplain and explained the chaplain walk all as a matter of why of that costume and he put on the costume and I think sang a chaplain song uh, so it was things like that when he needed a partner because he had been in Little Shop of Horrors recently he called up Jessica Vosk and they sang Suddenly Seymour together and again it, it was just fantastic um, LaShawn's took part of her concert to explain how thrilled she was to be a producer now because she was yeah. a producer oh, yeah. of Top Dog, right. Underdog, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and how she had um, really gone to producer school <laughs> with, uh, gosh, the guy, the, the producer of Wicked, who became a mentor for her. David Stone? David Stone, yeah. David Stone, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, let's see. Oh, one other thing about it for, you know, and now in retirement, I used to be a high school drama teacher many, many years ago, but now I teach courses in Duke University's uh, continuing education program, mostly for seniors, but I uh, teach courses in Broadway musicals. And I use the six hour PBS documentary that was hosted by Julie Andrews. Mm-hmm. And one of the people that's a talking head in that a lot is Ted Chapin. And I oh. saw him one night at dinner at another table, <laughs> I think at the first dinner, and I just geeked out. I just became like a fangirl. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think I frightened him. But anyway, he conducted two panels with the participant, with the with the stars. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was fascinating as well. So it really was. Uh, oh, and Alaska has pretty scenery. <laughs> yeah. But, um, oh, yeah. To me, the, the the best part of it was on the stage. That is great. So five stars for Playbill's Broadway and Alaska cruise. That yes. is great. How long did you plan to go on the cruise? Well, it, you have to sell out in advance. I think we probably made the final payment 10 months ago, but anyway. Mm-hmm. 
the next wow. one that they're doing, and I probably will not be joining them, is in Tahiti. And um, uh-huh. and that you have to have purchased by September 15th. It's next mm-hmm. April. So that's the kind of planning you need to do. And it's not inexpensive, but no. at this point, I'm treating myself. Attaboy. Sure. <laughs> Uh, Alan, I didn't ask you to in- introduce yourself, so tell Sorry. us. Uh, Alan Teasley, you... I, I'm in Durham, North Carolina. Okay. I uh, get up to New York about three times a year to see Broadway shows. And uh, we have one of those stops on the major tours of the Durham Performing Arts Center. And in fact, Wicked is there right now for a month. And uh, it, by the way, this experience caused me to go down there and get tickets for Mrs. Doubtfire because mm-hmm. Rob McClure is touring in it. And mm-hmm. uh, that this made me want to see him and more stuff for sure. Yeah, he's really marvelous. Yeah. He referred to himself because of all his props that he did. He referred, used, he referred to himself as the carrot top of Broadway. <laughs> 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 All right. Thanks, Alan, for your review. I appreciate it. Next up, we have Sean. Sean is going to talk about the national tour of Jagged Little Pill. So, uh, Sean, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Good morning. My name is Sean Logan. I'm in Kansas City. And the most recent tour that has come through here was Jagged Little Pill. Um, it was at our outdoor theater, the Starlight Theater in Kansas City. And so that oh, yeah. uh, put a little bit of an effect on the first act because it started raining and got really cold. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people were getting up, having to go buy a poncho. But uh, that only lasted about 20 minutes or so. I just stayed seated and got wet. But mm-hmm. uh, it was a little interesting hearing the father character sing about being unsexy and all these people are running all over the theater in the rain. But uh, so the first act was a little marred by that weather effect, but the second act was much better. My other problem with the outdoor theater is this show especially has a very good lighting design and you can't really experience it well whenever it's almost like regular daylight and the show starts at eight o'clock. But by the time act two rolls around, then you feel like you're actually at the theater, just like if you were seeing the show on Broadway. So act two was excellent. Act one, it was kind of hard to get into because of all the distractions. Um, I will say that the lead character was played by Heidi Blickenstaff, who I believe played the role on Broadway as well. And she was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Uh, We saw understudy for the daughter, who I believe was played on Broadway by Celia Rose Gooding. But um, the the character was played on tour, not by the main actress this night, but by an understudy who actually was from Kansas City. And she was making her debut in Kansas City in the role. So she had family there. So that was sort of exciting. the son character, Nick, is played by Dylan Klaina, who is Derek Klaina's brother, who oh, played the role oh, on the original yeah. cast. And they are dead ringers for one another. You could oh. tell it was his brother. So the cast was very good across the board. The show was um, mm. good. There was a <laughs> lot going on. So, of course, the, the music and the singing was terrific. Um, the moments I was expecting to be great, including the act two, you ought to know, um, was very rousing. However, I would say the story was a little muddled and 
there was way too much choreography going on. There was like this Greek chorus, it seemed like going around everyone. And it just, to me, it did not add to the experience or the storytelling. It was just a distraction. There was one moment where the mother, I guess, is finally um, having her breakdown. And she has like this other self who's dancing with her on the couch. And that was pretty interesting as far as the choreography, because it made sense what was being expressed. But the rest of that was just awfully busy. So those would be my thoughts. It's well worth seeing. It definitely is Broadway caliber. And I just think I would have enjoyed it better in a more intimate indoor space. Sure. I mean, the starlight, you know, you got to take the good with the bad. Some some evenings are going to be amazing and others are going to be wet. <laughs> it's wonderful I, that this still exists, though. I mean, how long has starlight been around? Do you have any idea? Um, I want to say like it's like at least 70 years. I would think, yeah. So it's really wonderful it's still around. How many shows do they do a year? Well, they do five every summer, um, and they are like national tours. I do not have season tickets because of the weather. I have tickets to the indoor series, um, but they did have like this summer. This is the only one I saw, but they had the tour of 1776, uh-huh. and then they usually do one locally produced production as part of their shows, and I know they did Legally Blonde. Again, I did not attend that one. Um, that week, it was about like 100 degrees every day, so I'm glad I didn't go. Ah. Uh. <laughs> uh, Peter, I pulled up quickly that the Starlight Theater is a 7,739-seat outdoor theater in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, opened June 25th, 1951. So we're talking 80-70-some-odd uh, yeah. years. Yeah. Uh, the original construction. The original construction cost was $1.5 million. Can you imagine yeah, well, what that is in, in yeah. today's today's yeah. dollars? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, and uh, they they keep very busy out there. They have uh, they have an encore thing, uh, a, a gala coming up October 14th. They have various concerts. They have uh, community th- movie nights. They have, you know tons of stuff so they're keeping busy at, at, at the starlight this is wonderful it's just wonderful um may i say at this point that i did an inflation cal- uh, calculation and it would be um 19 million 300 thousand today if they were to do it you 19 million three to rebuild the starlight you know well, at least to build uh, it. <laughs> yeah to build to build the starlight yeah mm-hmm. uh we have um uh, Gulf Shore Playhouse down in Florida being built right now at at a cost of about a hundred million dollars. Wow! Uh, and uh, seems to be under construction and finance. They had a terrible. Uh, they had the hurricane down there, you know, six months ago or so. Mm. Uh, that really set them back a bit sure. uh, in in the Tampa area in Florida. Uh, and Gulf Shore Playhouse is getting back up going. So uh, let's see, Sean, thank you so much for uh, giving us that review. And we're going to go next to another outdoor theater where the St. Louis Muni, where Greg is going to uh, tell us. So, Greg, hello. And why don't you introduce yourself? I am Greg Christensen. I live in the St. Louis area in the uh, same city where Peter's favorite architectural you bet. Uh, 
I love that arch. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> and not the golden ones. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, no, not those. No. Yeah. So home of the uh, St. Louis Muni, which is, I guess, the sister theater on the east side of the state to the Starlight Theater. Mm-hmm. Next year will be 105 years for the Muni. Wow. And they do seven shows a year, all locally produced. Mm. So I was fortunate enough to see six of the uh, seven shows this year, but I was going to talk about Little Shop of Horrors because uh, that was definitely my favorite of the season. Because I was a little concerned thinking, you know, that huge, huge stage, and you know, to what's kind of rather an intimate show. But uh, they really solved the, well, they, first of all, they built the set on more than one level. So the, uh, the chiffons, I guess that's what they're called, the uh, mm-hmm. the, the girl group. Mm-hmm. So they were often on top of the flower shop, uh, which kind of gave it a little bit different, unique perspective to everything. And uh, the Seymour uh, uh, was played by Robin DeJesus from In the Heights oh. and mm-hmm. uh, Boys in the Band and I think that was really the first time where I really got to hear his real singing voice. And it was just really, really good. And he was just, I thought he was just outstanding in the role. So I was anxious to see him because I'd never seen him on stage before. So uh, that was a big plus. And the whole cat, and I don't have the playbill in front of me, so unfortunately I can't credit the other people. But there wasn't a, um, oh, Michael McCormick was... uh, Mr. Mushnick, and he was quite good as well. Um, And uh, Michael's had a remarkable career. I mean, he was in the first Broadway revival, really return engagement of Oliver, who's one of the little boys in, that's 1965, and he has worked steadily since, and deservedly so. So uh, I'm not surprised to hear that he was wonderful. Yeah. Uh, Yes, I was... Like I said, I was very impressed with the whole cast. And I'd only seen him once before as Tevye, and I, di- I didn't really feel like that was his role, so it was nice to see him in something where I felt like he really excelled to me. Greg, let me um, ask you this. You indicated that you saw all but one show at the Muni this year. What was the one that you either said, I'm not going, and I am telling you I am not going, or you missed <laughs> because of other circumstances? Um, what was that uh, one that you well, didn't see? Well, you know me well enough that I would never say I'm not going. So uh, <laughs> to the theater. Um, actually, it? it was a fa- chess, which uh-huh. I really, really wanted to see because I'd only seen the the only inc- incarnation I've ever seen of it was the national tour back in what early '90s, I guess, around uh-huh. 1990. That uh-huh. kind of a bus and truck tour. So, yeah, I was disappointed, but we had a family issue going on that I I needed my attention. So I understand. Okay, And I was tempted to say, if you can wait four hours, I'll be there. But uh, (laughs) they wouldn't wait. No, they would not wait. (laughs) No, they would not wait for it, as as Aaron Burr would say. So (laughs) when you you talked about the the little show on the big stage, uh, it reminded me of Ernest in Love, which was a musical version of The Importance of Being Ernest that was first done in 1960 off Broadway. It doesn't have that many characters in it. And the the Texas or whatever it's called company in um, Japan, um, I always have a tough time with uh, the name of it. But 
the all-female company was doing Ernest in Love, and they have this enormous company. What were the, how could they possibly do this tiny little musical? And they, I've seen a video of it. <laughs> they had dozens upon dozens of butlers and maids <laughs> filling the stage, and that's <laughs> how they got around it. But, uh, but I guess we didn't have uh, that many more customers um, at at Mushnick's shop in, uh, well, in St. Louis. Yeah. Well, what the Muni often does is they'll just use their 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 ensemble. And so they still beef up that ensemble. So there are more people to fill the stage and they have what are called the Muni kids, which are great. Yeah. So the stage was full a lot. Oh, good. Yeah. So it, it, it worked really well. And, uh, but the, to me, the most exciting part of it was how they designed the plant to fill that big stage. Of course, the plant starts out small. And then when the plant, after he first feeds the plant and it grows, and when he does the number where, and I'm not recalling the name of the song right now, Oh, Feed Me Seymour. And so the, the, the guy running, not the voice, but the guy running the puppet jumps out of the plant. And he's tethered to the plant, and he runs all over the stage chasing Seymour, which, which mm-hmm. was just, I it just, I really, really, really liked that. You know, it just uh, gave the, made the plant even more of a character to me than what I had seen. I'd only seen it once before on stage, actually really? at stages wow. here in St. Louis. Uh-huh. So, um, but... And the only complaints I heard from the audience at all were they changed the ending. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah. And um, I mean, that was the biggest complaint, I guess. You know, I, you hear that from time to time, you know, with uh, with things like I saw Sister Act, too. And they said, well, they didn't use the music, meaning the music mm-hmm. from the movie. And they really yeah. that's what they sure. want to see the movie on that's stage. Right. That's you know, right. sure. that's yeah. Right. Yeah. Which it, I'm just the opposite. No, give me an original score. I'd much sure. rather see that. Sure. So overall, it was very satisfying. And I just and I just quickly want to say, um, Mike Isaacson, who is the creative director now at the Muni, has been for several years. Has done such an amazing job of just expanding the repertoire. You know, where about every three years you'd see the same shows kind of over and over again at the Muni where, and I love the old classics, trust me, I'm not wanting to throw them out at all, but it's nice. He's really expanded the repertoire and uh, kind of challenged You know, last summer we had Sweeney Todd. So, you mm. know, it just something you thought I'd, I thought I'd never see at the Muni. And I'm actually packing for a trip and I'm going to hopefully theater my way across the country and hopefully land in New York next Saturday. And then, uh, my last hurrah for summer. <laughs> All right. So uh, what was your oh. weather like? You know, we were very fortunate. In fact, I, we were in jackets most of the times. So we wow. were wow. summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we escaped the last show. Now, I'm trying, you know, you get them all mixed up in order. I can't even think of what the last show was now. Oh, Sister Act. Mm-hmm. And that was that was fine. And then the next weekend, we started seven straight days of 100 plus degrees. And that ended Friday. Friday was the last day. 
Yeah, I don't. I may have said I'm not going at that point. I although they've improved that ventilation system so well in there, you know, I can remember days where you would just bake. But now the fans, because they're quiet, they run continually. Oh, so, that's great. Yeah, it is. Oh, it makes a big difference. You and eleven thousand of your closest friends. Sitting I forgot there to mention that. Thank you. Yes, Ellen. Uh, it was very full. I mean, Sister Act was very full. Um, little shop was very full. Beauty and the Beast. I parked about a mile away from the amphitheater. That's how full uh, uh-huh. that was for Beauty and the Beast. So, yeah, it's uh, uh, it's definitely an institution. And what I loved is just you see so many families at the community, not just a husband and wife. Mm, that's right. Kids, grandparents, mm. even mm-hmm. extended families, mm-hmm. picnicking on the lawn, and 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 stuff so it's 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 you know not having been born and raised in st louis coming to a city that has this tradition was a big big Mm -hmm. plus for me you know and there were times when i used to kind of think i was kind of oh that's not real theater (laughs) you know i was a little Mm -hmm. bit of a snob at one point but like i said in the last 15 years or so the way they've just and they you know they've built you know they've doing a huge capital campaigns to improve the stage and the facilities and everything. So it's, it's really top notch out there now. So to compare apples to apples, Peter uh, Muni was built in 1917 at a cost of $10,000. Wow. $10,000 in 1917. That's a 300 and some odd thousand dollars in, in today's, today's money. Uh, it's been renovated 1923, built into the city charter of St. Louis that there always will be free seats at the Muni so that anybody who even can't afford a ticket can go to a show. That's wonderful. And I can, oh, it is wonderful. And I can tell you when I was raising kids and didn't have a lot of cash, that's where we saw all the shows was that's from the right. free seats. Sure. So it's a pretty amazing place. Mm-hmm. Thank you for the opportunity. Greg, uh, Paul Witte is asking in our, in our chat room, uh, what was the attendance like? Uh, uh, in in the recent years at the Muni, uh, have you I think noticed? It was high. I haven't seen the numbers. Usually, uh-huh. I'm sure the numbers are out because they usually release them very quickly once once mm-hmm. the season ends. But just by looking around on a Monday night, which I would think would be a lower night to begin with, um, it seemed up to me from past seasons. I, I think the key there is that you said you parked blocks and blocks away. So, oh, yeah. uh, and, you know, that that's usually the telltale sign is parking, you know, yeah. <laughs> which is why I didn't hear fire on goodness or I mm. ate Edelweiss when I was at the Muni because I wanted to get out of that parking lot as quickly as I could. And uh, so I've seen those shows and I can afford to miss those numbers uh, to get out without waiting uh, probably a half hour to 45 minutes, I would guess. I mean that. All right, Greg, thank you so much for your review oh, you're welcome. of thank you. uh, Little Shop of the Muni. Thank Next you. up, 
Uh, next up, we have uh, Tony Janicki is uh, going to talk to us about. He uh, briefly stopped in New York and saw Funny Girl and Back to the Future. Funny Girl wrapping up very, very soon their run. Uh, you know, I've I've talked a number of times on air and off air with with various people about. Not sure why Phony Guns, Funny Girl is wrapping up when they're selling so well, although they will have a big cast change. So, Tony, why don't you introduce yourself and say hello to the listeners and give us your review? Okay. Um, well, I'm Tony Janicki. Um, I'm from, I've lived in the Chicago area, the suburbs, all my life. Uh, although I'm currently in New York right now in Manhattan, uh, staying with a friend. I'm in her, one of her extra rooms. Um, I've been here for six days and I've seen, uh, six shows and I saw funny girl last night. I had seen it previously with Beanie, but I wanted to see it with Leah and, uh, Leah was a revelation. Uh, uh, she totally disappeared into the role. I never felt that I was seeing her as an actress on stage. It was the character she created and, uh, very impressive. I, uh, I mean, she stopped the show three times uh, with uh, I'm the greatest star people and um, then don't rain on my parade. And she was just amazing. Uh, and uh, it was a totally different experience seeing the show with somebody who's totally right for the part. Mm. Mm. Uh, and uh, no, it was just really, really thrilling, really uh, exciting. Ramin was quite good, too. Uh, I mean, he gave a lot of nuance to the character of uh, Nick, which isn't that well developed in in the libretto. And of course, Tova, I mean, she's mm-hmm. like quintessential the Jewish mom. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, he was really, really, uh, it was a fantastic uh, production. Great. And um, you also saw Back to the Future. So what did you think about that? Yeah, I saw Back to the Future um, Thursday evening. Um, I had to get a rush, uh, a general rush ticket. So I got in line about, um, 745, I think it was. And I, uh, and there was a, a kid there be- <laughs> who had been sleeping on the sidewalk. Uh, he got there mm. like five in the morning. Mm. So I woke him so up. So you said 745 in the morning, not 745 right before the eight o'clock uh, curtain. No. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, got yeah. there about 745 in the morning. And, um, so, um, yeah, this guy, yeah, he was there first. And then another guy joined us. So all three of us. So we had a lot to talk about uh, because the, the, the box office didn't open until 10. So it, the, it, it was great. It, it, uh, the, the time just flew by. But Back to the Future, um, I really liked it. I was a little skeptical because it's, a, it's, you know, it's an action, fantasy, science fiction movie. And do the characters in that, should they be singing, you know, in a, in a musical? But I did. Uh, I was very impressed with it especially the performance by Casey likes who he didn't do a Michael J. Fox, uh, clone. He was, he created his own, uh, he made the role his own. I mean, he came across as a, uh, just a, an average kid, a teenager. And he was very innocent. And, uh, I really enjoyed his performance. The show itself is spectacular. The effects, the special effects and the, the projections are, Man, they're, I don't know how they did some of the things they did. I, I can't understand because I was in like the third row in the center and I, I couldn't figure it out. But mm-hmm. um, 
it was very impressive. Roger Bart was quite good too. Um, gave a lot of depth to the character. Uh, I actually choked up a few times uh, with with some of his line readings. So, um, but uh, I liked the show quite a bit. Wow, and that's the, great. The score wasn't bad. The score wasn't bad. I mean, the songs are um, uh, many of them were uh, character specific to uh, to Marty and um, and to um, uh, and Doc, and um, uh, not bad. I mean, not great, but better than I expected. So um, uh, it was a good show overall. Great, Peter. I interrupted you. What were you going to ask before? No. Um... I was going to ask uh, Tony, uh, since I saw him for lunch the other day, (laughs) um, if indeed um, he saw anything else beyond uh, the time we had lunch. Oh, yeah, because I I saw Anne Juliet on Tuesday, uh, The Mm -hmm. Cottage on Wednesday, Some Like It Hot on Friday, and yesterday Shucked in the afternoon and Funny Girl in the evening. And today I'm seeing Uncle Vanya in the afternoon. Titanic at night and on Monday uh, 54 below I'm going to check out Backstage Babble with uh, Charles Kirsch. Charles Kirsch, yeah, indeed, indeed. Um so uh your feelings about Shucked and your uh were what? Uh Shucked was it was very funny. I mean, I laughed all the way through it. Uh, the jokes are they're just really oh, they're hilarious. Uh score was bright. Uh, it was it's an original story. Um, yeah, I mean, very entertaining. Um, uh, the cast was bright. Um, Kevin Cahoon is a stitch mm-hmm. as Peanut. Um, and, um, let's see who else was, oh, oh, how can I forget? Alex Newell, who has mm-hmm. done some work in Chicago, and I got to meet him there, oh, some years ago because he did a production, he was in, um, a, um, a regional production of um, uh, Saturday Night Fever at uh, Drury Lane Oakbrook. And he played a, a role that wasn't, I, I don't believe was in the movie. And I got to speak to him afterward. And um, then I saw him a few years ago when he did Once on this Island uh, on Broadway at the mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Circle in the Square. Circle in the Square. Mm-hmm. So um, he was amazing in the show. He's, he's really almost the main character. He plays Lulu which I guess is a total female. I don't think it's a binary. Yeah, no, I think it's a female. No, no, it's, it, right, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, he was like, well, he's hilarious. And his line readings were quite good, too. So I uh, have seen with uh, with that, um, uh, the, the one number that he has as a solo. Uh, I can't remember the oh, name of it. Yeah, but it's terrific, isn't it? Yeah, um, no, his, my his buddy Jake... Is- my buddy Jay Clark, who I think is brilliant at casting, uh, made a suggestion, which I posted on Facebook. And while there were four people who said no, 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 including Michael, by the way, um, most people said, what a great idea. And I think it is a great idea. Wouldn't it be something if Alex Newell and Bonnie Milligan and Kimberly Akimbo switched roles? Indeed, oh, Bonnie mm-hmm. Milligan coming into uh, Shucked and Alex Newell going into Kimberly Akimbo. Um, I think it'd be a great thing to see happen. I think it'd be great fun. And um, I hope it does happen. Uh, uh, Jay, who doesn't work in the industry, I'm telling you, is so good at casting. You can't talk to him for five minutes. What I was saying, you know, who'd be good in such and such. 
much, and he's always right. So um, people uh, who are producers of these shows think about uh, making a trade. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I think it would goose up business, too. I really do. Yeah. People would come yeah, back Brian, to see I these people. As, as Lulu, definitely. Yeah, sure. Let's see it happen. Peter, don't okay. you think the Yankees and the Mets should trade some players just for the end of the season? Well, as a Baltimore <laughs> Orioles fan, I'm very happy the way things are working out. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I forgot that. Yes, the Orioles are just doing amazingly. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Tony, thank you so much for joining us and giving us your views on these uh, shows. And it sounds like an amazing trip you're having to New York. Yeah. That's great. I'm having a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. That's Thanks great. for bringing me in. So next up, we have uh, Paul going to join us, and Paul's going to talk about Ragtime at Music Theater Wichita, which we've talked a number of times about Music Theater Wichita. It's one of our favorites. So, Paul, why don't you introduce yourself? Well, good morning. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm Paul Witte. I reside in Wichita, Kansas. Ironically enough, I sell lawnmower parts and lawnmowers during the day so that's why i'm obsessed with music theater oh all the goodness. other hours <laughs> <laughs> um and i'll talk about music theater wichita and ragtime in just a second but first i want to hit on the um the muni and starlight which are just wonderful organizations and i've put many a windshield time uh driving to both of those theaters and mm. forward to every year when the muni announces their season and what you know? Which what show am I going to go drive six hours one direction to see? And, uh-huh. and Peter talking about that parking lot. There have been nights leaving that parking lot at eleven thirty, and I've got six hours on me, but I stayed till the very end because I'm a completist. So, boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, here in Wichita, we have this regional theater, Summerstock Theater, called Music Theater Wichita, which has been on this program many times mentioned, and I. Their second to last show of this summer season was Ragtime, uh, which was last weekend. And I had seen Ragtime before in another regional theater. And I'm telling you, I was just absolutely blown away by the the performances this time. Um, Sean Bowers, who played Cole House Walker Jr., uh, who I also saw on Broadway in Ain't Too Proud. Aaron Clemens as Sarah, who has performed in Hamilton on Broadway and on tour. Uh, and Marissa um, McGowan, who played Mother, uh, also a Broadway alum, just, I, I just you know, blew the back off of the theater. I, just her, her, you know, 11 o'clock number of Back to Before just really, really, really set, set the night apart from any other. And then I also wanted to mention uh, there was so how Music Theater Wichita does it. They bring in a summer company of college performers from all over the country. Uh, and Carson Palmer from Texas State uh, played Younger Brother and gave an absolute stellar performance. And so um, it was it was just it, it was it was a wonderful production. And, you know, the original in fact they still use the Broadway costumes still out there being used mm-hmm. 20, 25 years later. Um, and so it was a wonderful night. And I think that's what I got. Other than I wanted to mention that their next show they're doing is Cats, which I know was mentioned earlier as being some of our <clears throat> not so favorite uh, <laughs> material out there. 
I'm looking forward to this one only because they're doing a they're doing a complete new set for it based on and they're staging it at a um in this area there was an amusement park called Joyland that is now since long closed but they're putting it in this rundown amusement park so I think that'll be a great tie in for people to uh uh, to get get some get some more people into the theater that maybe otherwise would go oh cats I can't do it but there this this set is going to be spectacular and Peter you should also know that I know uh, former artistic director Wayne Bryan talked to you about uh, Karen Robb's run in Gypsy oh probably ten years ago well no more than that probably fifteen years ago well she's back next season opening sh- opening show in May. They're going to do Gypsy again, so you've got another chance to see her tour de force performance. Wow. So that is uh, – I, I love Ragtime, and oh, it's, it's it's great that the, <laughs> the costumes are still being used because maybe they're almost paid for by now. <laughs> uh, if you know the lure of Ragtime, you know what I'm talking about there. So uh, – so thank you, Paul, for giving us that. Uh, Greg Christensen uh, chimed in in the chat room that he saw Ragtime last night in St. Louis as well. All right. So that wraps it up for today. Before we get on to trivia, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in Apple Podcasts. as many ways to get us. Uh, start with Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash Radio. If you subscribe there, you'll be able to support Broadway Radio and all the other shows that we produce here. You can catch us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, which is uh, changing to a new platform in two days. So if you're still listening on Stitcher, get over to the new platform and Google Play. Uh, contact information for Peter and me and Michael and Matt and everybody else on Broadway Radio can be found on the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. So, Peter, do we have an answer to last week's trivia? When a musical was first released on CD almost 25 years after its premiere, the liner notes included this sentence. To hear the show in its musical entirety, program track four to repeat after tracks five, six, ten, and 23. What was the musical and what was so special about track four that it should be repeated four times? Well, the original cast album of She Loves Me is the CD. Track four is the employee's Thank You, Madam, a short ditty with which they serenade customers who are leaving the store. Because they do it four times more during the show, a CD listener has the option of playing it each time it happens. Tony Janicki returned to first place, followed by Michael Portantier, J. Aubrey Jones, Sean Logan, Arthur Robinson, Phil Bond, and Robert Lobiondo. This week's question. One could argue that Ella Peterson might well have seen N. Richard Nash's play The Rainmaker on Broadway. Why? Okay. If you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com let you know if you're on the right track so on behalf of peter felicia this is james marino saying thanks so much for listening to broadway videos this week on broadway bye-bye bye bye
build a life with you.